Amen. Does anybody want the power of the name of Jesus in their life this morning? So would you do something for me? I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to tell you before I ask you to do it, it's kind of scary, kind of dangerous. I'm going to ask you if you would pray just in the quietness of this moment, just bowing your heads before the Lord. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. If you're willing, if you know Jesus, if you trust him, pray this prayer. Jesus, lead me today wherever you want. Lead me into whatever you want me to give up, whatever you want me to take up. Lead me into the conversations that you want me to have. Lead me away from conversations you don't want me to have. Lead me into sacrifice. Lead me into service. Lead me into bringing glory to your name. And I promise you, Jesus, wherever you lead me, I will follow today. Pray that prayer. Surrender right now. Father, you hear us as we cry out. I pray that you would answer for the cause of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. And sometimes, Father, you know it lights a fire inside of me to think of what it would be like if your children were passionate about following you. And we didn't let anything get in the way of that. And we were fully convinced that the way we wanted to live was the way that our Savior led us. That we wanted nothing else but His power in our lives. That the power that we needed to make the darkness tremble doesn't come from my plans or my agendas or my desires or my understanding or my logic. It only comes from surrender to my Savior and my Redeemer. And I pray that you would take the prayer that many have prayed in this moment and that you would light this place on fire for your glory as we live in the power of our Savior today. And so we bring this to you as an offering of worship, as a statement of our deeply held faith that you are the answer for our lives. Father, answer in power, we pray. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a seat this morning. And I want to just commend those of you who prayed that prayer. I don't know who did, but I will tell you this. If we will live that out, nothing will be the same. Because when the power of Jesus is invited in, normal things don't happen. Supernatural things happen. When you allow God to lead your life, transformation shows up. Power that we can't do ourselves opens up. And I don't think it's going to be you need to wait until Thursday to see God show up in your life. I think if you surrender, God's going to show up right now today. <laughs> I think it might be before you leave this place this morning that God's going to use you in someone's life in a powerful way. And you may or may not know it, but I know that God knows it. 
And I believe today God is going to use his people for his glory. So I'm thankful for that. I am grateful for that. I'm glad that we get to be together here in the name of Jesus. Church family, always good to see you. If you are a guest, if you're visiting with us, thank you for coming. Uh, make your way out to our guest center uh, after the service. Make sure you check in with us. Get the, the gift that we have for you and let us know that you're here. The end of our service today is communion. If you have never done communion with us before, I want to explain it briefly to you so that you kind of know what's happening. When we get done with uh, looking at John 16 today, and we're going to finish John 16 today, when we get done in John 16, I'm going to ask people to leave their stuff where it is and form a circle around the room. Uh, we're going to use that to reflect that in the first days of communion, and in in when Jesus did it with his disciples, he did it around a table with all those who followed him. And we don't have a big old table, but we have a big old room, and we can get around it like we're around a big old table, and we can share communion together as a family. So I'm going to invite you to join us in that circle. If you want to just observe, the first thing we do is pass cups. Just don't take a cup. You can stand in the circle. No one will bother you or embarrass you or make you feel uncomfortable in any way. You can just watch what we do and take it in. But if you're here today and you know Jesus, we'd love for you to celebrate with us. Uh, the, the communion will be served in that circle and we will take it together uh, at the end of that time. So that is an important thing. That is a blessed thing. I'm glad that we get to do that today. We're going to go to John chapter 16. I talked, I titled today, Now We Believe. Um, and I have so many various thoughts about stuff today that I have no idea where this is going. And you'll see where we start is in a weird place. So from there, I was going to say I'm going to start weird, but I'm always weird. So it's going to be weird throughout. So just hang with me. Um, but let me ask you a very strange question. Um, the other day at our house, uh, we had the grandchildren over and Bentley, who has his own way of expressing what's going on and, and what he wants you to do. He thinks he's very clear with what he's telling you. He looks at you like, don't you understand me, pop? Like I'm just speaking. He's speaking nonsense, but he's saying stuff he thinks you're supposed to know. Right? So the other day he wanted a particular show and I didn't understand what he was saying. And I listened to him and I over and over and over again. Finally, I guessed the show. And it was the show that our kids watched when they were younger. And I, this is the question I have. Do you guys know Bear in the Big Blue House? How many people know Bear in the Big Blue House? All right, just a couple of people. All right, well, let me, maybe you don't know that's the name of This is Bear, all right? This is Bear. So we turn this on. I finally realize what he's saying. I've deciphered the language. And we put this on, and he's happy, and he's clapping. But my mind immediately does. It, it surprised me that I not only did this again, but that I remembered. Because we had a, a VHS. You remember VHS cassettes? We have a VHS cassette of this dude in our house that the kids watched over and over and over when they were a little kid. And when they put it in, I don't know, I actually don't know much about what goes on in that show because I never really watched it. But whenever it came on, I would, I, this is what my mind would do. Now you, can, you can judge me later, but this is what my mind would do. There's somebody in there, <laughs> right? He's like a puppet. So there's somebody in there and I go, okay, so they've got like, one hand in this thing, and they got like one hand up here, right? So they're moving this guy with one hand and one hand. But the other hand moves. And I'm like, how does the other hand move? Did they find somebody with three arms? Like what, what happens here? Like, does anybody else think this way? Or is this just me? I'm going, yeah, right, thank you, Bob. So, like I'm going, how does that other hand move? And I worked this all out 20 years ago when my kids were little. That was, my, that was my like obsession to figure this out. 
I, I worked it all through in about 30 seconds because I, I had already done it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that really matters to me. How did, I needed to understand. Turns out, if, if you don't want to know how the magic is done, whatever, but it turns out there's a piece of fishing line through the costume. So when this hand goes up, this hand goes down. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I was like, I bet you that's what it is. And then like in one scene, you can see the fishing line kind of go across. I was like, I was right, right? <laughs> I felt pretty good about myself because I had figured it out. So maybe it surprises you, maybe it doesn't, that I am somebody who wants to understand how something works. Anybody here like that kind of person? I want to understand how something works. All right, so, so that, Blue, thank you very much for your, your help this morning. But my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Because of that very reason, my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I feel like that has been brought to bear in my life over and over and over again. When my life is on track and going well, when I'm hearing Jesus and living for him, these principles are what guide me and drive me. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your understanding. It's not a complex thought, but it is profound how difficult it is to constantly move against the drift towards trusting understanding as a way to navigate life. What I understand, maybe for you, it's not understanding here. Maybe it's understanding here. What I feel is true. What I feel would be good. But I think that verse says to us something about the nature of our human existence and our struggle to follow Jesus. That verse does not tell us that understanding is bad or evil. We're not told to be people who don't care about understanding. I find some comfort in that because it does matter to me to understand. We're not told that we need to turn off our brains. What we're told is that we cannot rely on it. We cannot put our trust in it. The word lean means to put your weight. Don't lean on your understanding. Don't put the weight of your life on your ability to understand what's happening. For many Christians, including many of us, our struggle to follow Jesus is that we'd rather follow our understanding. We will follow Jesus as long as we can also follow our understanding at the same time, which really means we're not following Jesus. We're following what makes sense to us. We are in agreement with him. We are not in surrender to him. We are not in submission to him. We are in agreement with him. So we are agreeing with Jesus. Therefore, we can follow him, but we're not really following him. We do this all the time. I think one of the biggest traps for the church right now is that we sort out social issues with understanding, with human understanding. Then we try to go grab the Bible and force fit the Bible to, to work for our understanding of what we see in the world around us. Instead of going to the Bible and letting it tell us things. Our idea of what a family is. The word of God has instruction for us on that. But humanity wants to recreate it because we're so smart. How to run relationships. What sexual morals should be. What sexual behavior should be. The idea that, well, you know, you can justify crossing these lines uh, sexually, living together before you're married. You can do it with logic. You can do it with understanding. You can be talking to somebody and what they say makes sense to you. The problem is God's word still says what God's word says. It doesn't change because I, my understanding doesn't fit in today's context what Jesus or what God said through the prophets. So we get tripped up 
trying to use our understanding as a guide. Even in our relationship with him, we want to understand what God is doing or why something happened. And I want to say this, using our understanding as our reliable guide will never bring you to peace. Never bring you to peace. Not the kind of peace that Jesus talks about in these verses. Our birthright as believers is to be people of peace. And I feel like that is one of the keys when we've gone through this one night with Jesus, Jesus' words to world changers. We can change the world by having peace in the midst of trouble. Peace that comes beyond understanding. Peace that comes from God himself, not peace that comes from, well, I get it. I'm gonna say today, if you're waiting for what you see to bring you peace, you're never going to find peace. If you're waiting for what you look out at the world or what you look at your life and what you understand to bring you peace, you are on a hopeless chase and you will never get there. If you're hoping that peace comes regardless of the choices you make, well, Jesus said, I give you peace, so I must have peace. If you think you can just do whatever you want, you can ignore God, you can make choices that are against what he has taught us, and you're going to find peace in your soul, you will not ever find the peace that you ache for, the peace that you were promised, the peace that you were given in Jesus Christ. And without peace, you won't have what we talked about last week, joy. <laughs> Why would I want peace? I'm all right with tension. No, you're not. You want to enjoy your life, don't you? But without peace, you can't enjoy anything. You can't enjoy what you're doing right now, even while you're doing it. Even the things that you like, you can't enjoy them because you're so stressed. You're so hurried. You're running from one urgent thing to the next. You got all of this high alert stuff going on. Even the moments where you're not actually doing something, you're on high alert for something that's coming next. And eventually it takes you not to peace. It takes you to our substitute for peace, which is numb from exhaustion. I can't handle anymore. So the, the circuit breaker trips and I'm just like, I can't feel anything anymore. That must be peace. No, it's not. It's trauma. We are promised so much more. Some of the reason that God is not working in this world the way our heart aches for him to work is because we will not follow him and trust him in a way that will allow peace to dominate our souls. But I believe if the people of God would live with peace in the midst of no matter what, it would bring the power of God alive in the world around us. And so we're coming to the end of John chapter 16 here. John records these words of Jesus as the end of his conversation with his disciples. The next chapter, he picks up Jesus's prayer. All of chapter 17 is Jesus's conversation with the Father. And then in chapter 18, it is Jesus's arrest in the garden in front of them. So we're talking about coming down to the end of this. Now, we don't know that these were Jesus's last words that night, but these are the last words that John chooses to put here because he believed that this summed up the conversation, the whole discourse from chapter 13 all the way to chapter 16 that Jesus has been having with his disciples. He says, this sums it up. And where he ends is this. He says, I've told you these things so that you, those who follow me will have peace. Will have peace. The reason I've said all this is so that those who follow me will have peace. Let's start at verse 25 uh, down to verse 28. It says this. 
Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the father. So we've heard this over and over from Jesus as he tries to explain to his disciples, I am leaving. I won't be here anymore. And now you're going to have a direct conversation with the father. You're going to ask things to the father in my name. And what he says is, I'm going to stop talking eventually in figurative language. So he just talked, if you remember last week, he talked about a woman who's in childbirth and her pains. Oh, he's talking about that. No, he's not. What he's talking about, the word figuratively there actually means, it's an idiom, it's an it's a, a expression in Hebrew or, or in Greek here for hard to understand. It's a, it's a way of saying that I'm talking about stuff that's confusing you. One way of translating that word is the word parables even though that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. But the idea of telling a story in a way that isn't always super clear or is shocking and surprising. So Jesus is not just talking about the woman in childbirth, but all of what he's been saying this whole night, all of what he's been saying his whole ministry. Clearly, the disciples have been struggling to understand, right? They're not like, oh, we get it. They're about to say, oh, we get it, Jesus. And Jesus is like, do you really? Like, they don't get it. It is hard for them to understand. They're like, what does he mean? A little time. And what does going away mean? And, and the spirit who's coming, how is someone else? Come? Like they don't get any of it. What Jesus is saying is the time for you to be confused is going to come to a close. And then you're going to get it. And then you're going to get it. And I find that that is very encouraging. Jesus says to his disciples, I would think if you and I were leading the disciples and we were trying to get something through to them and they kept being like, we don't understand, we don't understand. We would be like, fine, forget it. <laughs> you guys are beyond hope, you're beyond help. But Jesus keeps explaining it. And he says to them, you're gonna get it. You're gonna get it, it's, it's gonna come. What you've heard and what you've seen is gonna be much simpler for you to get when it's gonna happen when the spirit comes. The Spirit's going to help you sort it all out. So from these verses, there are two ideas I want us to learn before we keep going. One is this, and, and many of you probably are in currently experienced this in your life. When Jesus says, I've used figurative language, very soon it's going to be plain. It tells us that there is a time as a believer for us to live in mystery with a lack of full understanding. And there is a time for revelation and for the truth to come alive. There's a time for us to have questions that we don't seem to be able to answer. And there's a time for God to bring answers and for us to get it. As a believer, God has times where you are learning and growing and understanding and all of it is just coming to life for you and a fire is inside of you. Some of you know what that's like. That's an awesome moment, right? When it's like, this just all makes sense. But there are other times when nothing seems to be happening, when nothing seems to be working and you feel lost I want to say to you, it is not abnormal to be living in a time of mystery as a believer. It is not abnormal. It's not out of what God has for you. You're not out of God's will when you're like, I don't get it, God. Were these disciples out of God's will? They were exactly where they're supposed to be. They've left everything to follow Jesus. They're sitting around the table with him. We still, we're going to celebrate that dinner today. Thousands of years later, they were doing exactly what they were supposed to, they were doing exactly what God asked them to do and they didn't get it. 
right? There are times, and it is normal for us as a believer to live in mystery. Sometimes because what God is doing is beyond our human understanding, we're just limited. But I would say more often, most often, it is God's plan for our growth. It shines a light on what we're leaning on. When the season of mystery does not have as much peace as the season of revelation, then you've stopped walking by faith, you've started walking by understanding. If your peace rises and falls based on whether you understand it or not, you are trusting in understanding, not in the Lord. So what do you do? If you've got questions that aren't getting answered, I say you take your questions to God, right? Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand. Would you show me? Then acknowledge if you're getting an answer or not. And if you're not getting an answer, decide to trust God anyway. This is an exercise of faith. And the peace, living with peace or not, is the indicator light of whether you're doing it right. You know, in your car, I know some of you don't understand this, but car has lights that tell you something's wrong. And you're supposed to address it before things blow up, right? Peace is that indicator light. If I'm living at unrest, it's because I'm trusting something other than the one who gives peace, right? So not understanding is not a problem. The second thing I want to talk about is this. The discussion about asking the Father gives us some form to our prayers in general because we're invited to bring our requests to God knowing that he wants to hear them and will answer. Do you know that about God? You are invited to bring your requests to your heavenly Father. God is not bothered when you pray to him, when you bring your request to him. You are invited to come to him with what you think, with what you need. But it also challenges this idea that we need someone else to go to God for us. This is a pretty popular idea in Christianity. We need some help, right? Jesus says to his disciples, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. What Jesus is expressing is, you've been pretty comfortable coming to me because you know me, because we're friends, because we're working together, living together, but now I'm gonna go. So when I go to heaven, when I go back to the Father, you're going to be thinking, well, I need to go to my friend Jesus, and Jesus will get me in good with the Father. A lot of people think that you need to get someone super spiritual to pray for your request in order for God to hear it. Guess what? None of us are super spiritual. There is no pattern in scripture. I'm not saying that we don't join together in prayer and there's goodness in us all joining. But there's no pattern in scripture where you need to go to someone else in order to get in with God. Never. Not even Mary. I know that that's like, ah, uh, but you don't need to go to Mary to get to Jesus. Isn't that good news? Some of you are like, oh man, you're, you're really stomping on me here. The truth is this. Jesus came to die for you he didn't then become distant. Hebrews chapter four tells us we can walk boldly into the throne room with our needs. If I am like, oh yeah, I don't want to bother you, God. Are you listening to what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, my father loves you. Why, do you, why am I not going to take the request to the father? Read that. Why am I not going to take the request? Because my father loves you. So when you come to him, he hears you. As a matter of fact, I look at it like this. Most of the time, the problem with God not answering our requests is I don't bring them to him. 
The conversation isn't the problem with him listening. He's already listening. The problem is that I'm going to, I got it. I'll go do my thing. What an immeasurable privilege that we have. Because throughout history, people have tried to earn a hearing with the gods. Right? They've tried to make deals. They've tried to negotiate with the, the true and living God. But we have been given, through Jesus Christ, a personal invitation to bring our requests to God. So don't believe you need help in getting your requests to God other than the spirit who's in us. We are welcome with our requests to talk directly to God. I think that's really important. Sometimes I talk to people, I don't know how to pray. There's nothing fancy about it. If you know how to say to me, I don't know how to pray, then you know how to pray. Because if you can tell me what you're thinking, you can tell God what you're thinking and that's praying, right? You can go directly to him. All right, let's keep going. Verses 29 and 30. This is the disciples' response to Jesus. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things, that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. This makes us believe. Jesus' disciples react to him. They're still stuck on seeing to believe. Maybe you are too. Maybe you haven't thought about it much, but maybe you're still stuck on seeing to believe. If you're living in some kind of frustration, if you're living in some kind of blah, this is probably the glue that keeps you there. I keep looking at what I see to decide if I can believe. But you're invited to come to the Lord with your requests and to believe he will answer, even if you don't understand how or where or when. Jesus says to his disciples, you have to take these requests to the Father. And I've spoken figuratively, now I'm speaking directly. And his disciples go, now we believe. The last part of that verse, now we believe. This makes us believe that you came from God. What makes us believe that you came from God? First part of the verse, what's he say? Now we can see. They think that believing comes from seeing. They base their clarity on thinking that Jesus' ability to answer questions they didn't ask him makes it easy to see and believe that he's God's son. But Jesus has been saying, I, I want to connect you to the Father here. You're going to have to connect to the Father by faith, not by sight. And if you're stuck on sight, it's not going to go well for you. It's actually one of our core values. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Actually, two of our core values as a church come from 2 Corinthians 5. But this one in verse 7, I believe it is, says, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. Our life comes as we as believers walk by faith. And then we adopt understanding as it's available, but we don't live by understanding. We live by faith in the promises of God, in the direction of God, in the goodness of God, in the power of God. So I will say it again. It is normal for God's children to need to walk by faith. If you're following Jesus, the prayer we prayed this morning, I will follow you anywhere. I'm going to tell you something about it. It's going to require that you have faith in him that goes beyond understanding for you to follow him. That is normative for believers. You are going to have to follow him by faith. And by that, I mean that faith or understanding will be, and, and sight, what I see, will be telling me two different stories. This is how it works. What I believe, what God has said, who God is, will tell me this story. What I see, what I understand, what I feel will tell me this story. And you have to choose which story you believe. 
How do you get thrown into a fiery furnace and say, hey, God wants to save us, he can, but even if he doesn't, we still try. How do you do that? You walk by faith instead of sight. Because sight is, that fire is burning everybody up and it's really painful and I don't want to go in there. Right? Faith is, but our God can save us because our God can do anything. And even if he doesn't, he's still good. If he doesn't save us, it's because it's good. Right? That's which story will you believe? The disciples are still stuck on, now we see, so we believe. And Jesus is like, you still don't get it. You still don't get it. Which story you choose will determine whether you live at peace or troubled. Let's close this out. Verses 31 to 33. He says, Jesus responds to them. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming. And in fact, has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is where Jesus' conversation ends with the disciples. This is why I've been telling you this, because I want you to have peace, and you can have peace because I have overcome the world. But he starts by saying, do you now believe? The disciples have declared, we believe. And Jesus is like, do you? I mean, you can almost feel the sarcasm, can't you? Do you? He immediately challenges their declaration. You think you have it. But do you have it like I want you to have it? And his point is, I want you to have peace. And if I, if I leave you thinking that peace comes from belief that comes from sight, if you're stuck on seeing to believe, then you're not going to have peace. Because what's coming is trouble. What's coming is hard. What's coming is tonight. You're all going to leave me because of what you see. You've said you believe, but what you're about to see is what you're actually going to trust, and you're going to take off. See, Jesus says, do you think you believe? Tonight, you're going to run away. Faith that comes only after seeing is suspect, according to Jesus. It's not faith that will last or endure. Maybe you think you believe because of what you see, but that feeling won't last because it will be challenged. And Jesus says it will be challenged tonight. You'll be scattered tonight because of what you see. But faith Real faith allows you to take heart because we know something that we haven't seen yet. Jesus has overcome the world. Do you believe in the victory of Jesus? Is it yours? See, that faith invites us to believe what hasn't played out before our eyes yet. Jesus has decidedly won. And so all of the turmoil of this world is pointless. All of the cultural battles are weak and doomed to fail. Because one day the king returns and he rules and reigns. He has triumphed victoriously and we are on his side. And that truth can play out in my life no matter what I see. That's why he says, in this world it will be troubling. But you don't have to be troubled. I've come so that you will have peace in me. Not trouble, peace in me. Because I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling them to pay attention to the coming hours. I don't know if you picked up on this, but look at this diagram he draws for them. He says, now tonight, you're all going to be scattered. And leave me alone. But I will not be alone. 
Did you see that? You're going to leave me alone. What it will look like is that I'm by myself, overwhelmed by an army, overwhelmed by people with swords and torches and power. And it's just me all by myself. And then Jesus says, but that's what sight says. But you know what faith says? I am not alone. I'm not alone. My father will be with me in that moment. You want to follow me? Follow me like that. So that when it looks like all the world is against me, I'm still confident that I am not alone. You can prove to me from all the facts and all the logic that I'm alone, but I know I'm not alone because I know the Father's with me. That's the faith that brings us peace. Jesus says, when you see that, when you understand it, then you can follow me even after I'm gone. You can follow me into the darkest moments or the heaviest days. People of God, what I'm asking you today is this. Do we have peace in Jesus? Are you living troubled or at peace? Jesus said all of these things so he could teach us how to have peace. We are people of peace. Not external peace where we make everything right in the world and everybody's at peace. We're, pe we're at peace right here. We're people who live with peace. And I believe the world changes when God's people live with a peace that comes from walking by faith and trusting Jesus. In the next few minutes as we do communion together, we're going to examine this example that Jesus gave us of how to live at peace in the midst of trouble.